This is Alex Segura, and you are listening to Writer Type. This is Attica Locke. This is Steph Post. Hey, I'm Lou Bernie. Hi, this is James Ziskin. This is Lawrence Block. Oh, interesting question. That's a compelling question. Excellent question. I'm Alifair Burke, and this is Writer Types. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Eric Beatner, and joining me today as my special guest host is the one and only Lori Raider Day. Thank you for joining me, Lori. Thanks for having me, Eric. Now, I, I will admit ignorance to uh, the hyphenating process. So <laughs> is, is the first part the maiden name or is it the second part that's the maiden name? Uh, the Raider is my maiden name and the Day is my married name. Okay. So, all right. Now yeah, I know. The hyphen so, has, I'm, I'm laughing because the hyphen is such a pain in the but um, you, you regret this decision? I don't regret hyphenating. It's definitely uh, been a chore, though, because, you know, uh, if you change your name at all, you have to go and change everything you've ever um, had in your IDs, uh, your Social Security card um, and a lot of um, online logins and that sort of thing. They, they have never seen a hyphen before in their life. <laughs> like technology cannot deal with the hyphen. But, you know, I didn't actually use it until my first book cover came in. My e- the email came in with the, you know, like, what do you think of this as your first, your debut novel's cover? And it didn't have the hyphen. And I realized suddenly that librarians and booksellers were going to be so mad at me. Ah, well, people can see that hyphenated name on your brand new novel, The Lucky One, which is out on February 18th. Uh, so you're in full on prep for book release mode right now, right? I'm actually in like uh, sweats and a pajama top. So um, I really don't feel like I'm in the hard press right now, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And are you one of those writers who like the, the latest thing to come out is kind of your baby and and your favorite, or do you, at this point, the lucky one is, is months old for you, maybe a year or more old for you. You're already on to the next thing. I am indeed. I've actually already written another book. So, um, yeah, I, I'm starting to get them mixed up too. So the lucky one is my fifth novel. They're all standalone, so they all have their own, you know, situations, settings, and characters. And I'm starting to lose track of who the uh, protagonists are of each of the books. <laughs> I gave them all names that start with um, vowels. I don't know why I did that, but oh. <laughs> but I I really am proud of the lucky one. I feel like it might be the strongest book I've published so far. Um, which is not, it's, it's a hard thing for me to say. It's a weird thing for me to say, to say I'm proud of myself, but um, I worked really hard on this book and I'm just hoping people, you know, appreciate that or, or enjoy it that much more. Well, it got a, a recommendation from uh, Once Upon a Crime Books on the last episode uh, in our uh, staff pick segment, which I'm sure you uh, heard because you're our uh, uh, avid because listener. Because I have so show. much time on my hands, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so this is about a woman who survives a kidnapping in her youth and then finds the man who did it later in life. Now, you, Lori, have you ever confronted anyone who had wronged you in the past? um no you know I've got like a list in my head if I wanted to go confront anybody (laughs) (laughs) no uh, but this uh, the story is it's interesting I think because the story is based on my neighbor um the the house to our left Uh, a nice cute little family moved in one day and when I met her 
the wife in the backyard the very first time she introduced me to her little daughter who's about two and then uh later on we were talking about the fence we share and she said she was worried about how low it was because she thought someone might grab her daughter oh yeah and i had never i'm not a mother so i maybe that's why i never thought of it but i thought i usually am the bad case scenario person around these parts um, and I had not thought of it. And it, she said, oh, that's because I was kidnapped as a child. She was kidnapped. She was returned safely within, you know, an afternoon. And But that's where the story started. Wow. Real life inspiration. That that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Usually you have to let your imagination run wild, but she just handed it to you on a platter. I know. I freaked out. I uh, I was like, oh, uh, before you say anything else, is it okay if I write about you? And she was like, <laughs> yay. And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> Now, am I right? Have I seen that the next thing, this next book that you've just completed is is very different for you? Are you onto a different kind of thing? I mean, I wouldn't call it like, you know, a new career path, but it's um, it's maybe a little detour. Um, it's a historical, oh. which I have never done. And I'm not a historian. I'm, I've never done this kind of research before. So it's been really interesting. Um, and challenging. Um, my goal is kind of always that the next book challenges me in some way. And my God, Eric, I need to stop doing that. I think uh, <laughs> maybe I give myself a, a, an easier assignment next time. Um, yeah, it's set in 1941 in England. Oh. It, it's based on, a, a again, another a real life situation, actually, oh. if you want to get into it. Um, it's uh, set at Agatha Christie's house in Devon, England in 1941 when uh, children were being evacuated out of London because of the, the bombings. Uh, ten children were evacuated to Agatha Christie's house. And that's actually fact. That wow. happened. Wow. Well, I, I'm going to play things a little close to the vest uh, when I talk to you next time uh, because I'm afraid you're going to steal my life and put it in a book. <laughs> <laughs> You've already written all your stuff, right? No, I've, I've, no. <laughs> I've had such a boring life. <laughs> you think that, but just, I'll, I'll, I'll get some stories out of you. Maybe. <laughs> all right, well, let's talk to our first guest, shall we? Let's do that. So first up is Kate Kessler, and she's the author of the new book, Seven Crows. This is the start of a new series. And uh, I read this, uh, I got to tell you, her protagonist, Killian Delaney, is, uh, she's an ex-con She's described as uh, having a skewed moral compass and a high threshold for pain. <laughs> so, and I tell you, this girl kicks a whole lot of ass. This book was a whole lot of fun. Uh, and also, Kate Kessler writes a whole lot of books under a whole lot of different names. So we're going to talk to her about all of that. So let's talk to Kate Kessler. Thank you so much for that lovely uh, introduction. Is um, Killian was a was a lot of fun to write, so I'm glad she was a lot of fun to read. Well, I tell you, it, she was a character that uh, I feel like, in, especially in the back half of uh, 2019, I read several books with these really great, really kick-ass uh, female leads. Uh, we had stuff like uh, the Wendy Hurd's The Kill Club or uh, Tori Eldridge's Ninja Daughter. Uh, both great books, uh, Dharma Keller's Jinx Baloo series. So I think 2019 was really the year of these kick-ass uh, women. Now, Killian has got a checkered past. She does not suffer fools easily. So it, it begs the question here, uh, how much of her is you 
<laughs> and how much of her is the you that you maybe sometimes want to be? Oh, um, I'm going to say a good 70 to 80 percent of her is the me i'd like to be <laughs> and, uh, and and the rest is me i find as i get older my my threshold for a lot of nonsense is just getting a lot smaller don't piss you off in a grocery store line kind of thing is what you're saying Look, I, there are days when i just want to burn the world down right like i just like i, I don't want to project but i think there are a lot of women out there who are feeling kind of frustrated with with the world and and I know I'm not the only woman out there that likes action movies, right? And and I was just lamenting the lack of the lack of them that are directed towards women. Right. You know, so really it was just my own kind of I don't know, mood swings, discontent. <laughs> and then wanting to write something, you know, because I loved Taken and I loved John Wick and I watched Sons of Anarchy and and I thought, you know, like, where are all the the females? You know, I don't want to write an old lady. And so that's, that's sort of where Killian came from. I was just like, I want to write this woman that's had a really rough time of it and, yeah. and uh, make her really good with violence. <laughs> <laughs> I, for one, love old ladies. I don't know what you're talking about, Kate. <laughs> no, you know what I mean, though, right? Like. Yeah. I I would have watched. Did you watch Sons of Anarchy, Lori? No, I don't have a lot of TV time. Okay, well, so so Katie Segal played like the matriarch of the of the gang. Yeah, and I would have watched an entire show that was her. Well, but th that's the great part of of being an author is that if you want to if you want to see it or you want to read it, well, heck, we can write it ourselves. And and that's just it because um. You know, I've been in the industry for, oh God, uh, I'm going to date myself here, but I've been writing professionally for 20 years under, uh, you mentioned in the intro, under some different names. The one thing I've never regretted is the book that I wrote, you know, or those books that I wrote just because it was something I thought was fun or it was something I wanted to read. Like, even if they didn't do that great, there's still some of the things I'm most proud of and I love the most. So that was, I think, a lesson that was a little slow coming for me, but um but yeah, you'll you'll just never regret writing that book. That is something that you want to put everything into and and you would like to read. So I'm just trying to write more of those. That's so cool. Um, so you write series. I don't. So I have a question about writing a series character. So you've got a series, uh, your Audrey Hart books. You've got mm. Seven Crows. It's the start of a new series. How do you write a character who can sustain several books? I'm not quite sure because I, I haven't been able to, <laughs> okay. I haven't really, I really haven't been able to go beyond five. Killian, I'm hoping will be, you know, there is a second book and then we'll, we'll see what happens after that. I'm hoping to at least get a trilogy out of her, but I'm not sure uh, beyond that because I do kind of feel like, you know, every character has their own arc, right? So mm -hmm. how many books can you keep going where this character is, staying the same enough that readers are coming back for what they love, but evolving enough that they're having a life and not just staying in one rut. Right. Yeah. And as, as the mystery world all learned this week, if you ever run out of steam, just get your brother to take over your series and keep writing the books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw that on Twitter <laughs> because that's where I get 90% of my news. Right. right. <laughs> and, and I was just like, what's that all about? But you know, uh, okay. Um, I don't have a brother. Well, I do have three sisters. There so, you, go. you know, 
maybe one yeah, of them get could one of them in training yeah. they right um no they all they're all older and um they all think i that i'm a little bit off <laughs> i mean we are <laughs> well all right as long as we're talking about family uh, killian is one of those stop at nothing to help her family and mm. deal out justice uh, type of characters i mean do you want readers as they're going through this book to to sort of question the lengths they would go to for their own family. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That that's one of those things that's um one of those questions I absolutely love as a writer, like just how far will you go for the people that you care about? Um I'm sorry, my husband's just looking over my shoulder. <laughs> um, um, okay, so I, I have to just, uh, if you don't mind me just telling a little story, but I was raised by this wonderful woman who is, has since passed on, but she was like, a, I don't want to call her a lioness because that makes her sound so, you know, but she was, she was something else. Let's just put it that way. And the sweet little woman that, that everybody in our very, 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 very small town uh, liked you know, everybody knew her. Everybody was like, oh, Mary, she's she's wonderful. She also clotheslined a guy off a bicycle when she was 12. Nice. <laughs> because he was picking on another kid, you know. And so I, I laugh, at, you know, I, my mother was bloodthirsty. She was sweet, but oh, my God, she was bloodthirsty. So I've got that in the background. And then she kind of instilled in us that family was so important, like that the four of us girls that there was never going to be anybody more important, like like that the four of us were this unit. And then, of course, my sisters have gone on to have children. I haven't had any. And now, you know, because my sisters are so much older than me, those children are having children. And so now I have I have three great nieces. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting when you sit back and think about what you would do for children that aren't even yours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause I would do pretty much anything if it came down to it for those well, I, kids. So, having yeah. read the book, I believe it. And I'm a little afraid. <laughs> no, I got interviewed by a guy who, a writer that used to be a cop. And, and he said to me after reading Killian, I have some assumptions about you. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> and he actually said to me, he's like that, you know how to use a knife. And he asked me if I have ever done time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Oh my God, I'm I'm sitting here in my I have purple hair, and I'm sitting here in my pajamas." <laughs> that wasn't a no, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, not sure I'd last in a prison. <laughs> I'd be the one walking through with a notebook, you know, like, "What are you in for? <laughs> What's your story?" There are biker gangs in this book. That that makes a lot of sense. The Sons of Anarchy that you yes. were talking about earlier. So is that a world that you knew already or did you have to do some no. research? No, I did research. Um, do you know you know how little things, and what I love is you're, you're both writers, so you know how just little things from your life will pop up. And I dated a guy when I was 17. He was 21. And he was a photographer. And he did photos for this guy who was part of a gang. And he took pictures of his guy's girlfriend with his Harley and then one day the guy just disappeared (laughs) (laughs) and and like no like literally ceased to exist kind of thing right was what we figured that just sort of came back at one point when I was thinking about some of this stuff and so it's not something that I've had experience with firsthand but it's sort of that secondary tertiary 
kind of things. Those things that you just pick up or you hear about or that happen to a friend of a friend through your life and you just file it away. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. we're fiction writers. You're allowed to guess at some things or just, you know, make it up. Well, and, you know, I, I kind of think of us as people who play pretend for a living and we're not just pretend we're that bossy kid on the playground that's telling everybody else their part in the pretend <laughs> now if you had to have done a lot of research in equal amounts with the making up in some of the other genres that you write in under some of these other uh, pen names <laughs> of yours I mean, with having so many different sort of personas and so many different genres that you've written in is a certain genre kind of near and dear to your heart or do you just come up with a story and then that's going to determine the genre and therefore the pen name that you, under which you write? Yeah, that that sort of has gotten me into trouble in the past. The fact that I, I like to write a little bit of everything and, and I joke that my superpower as a writer is that, you know, maybe I'll never make the New York Times, Never, maybe I'll never be hugely successful, but if somebody walked through my door right now and said, I need a Western, I'd be like, I can do that. Yeah. And I would, nice. and and I could. But yeah, it gets me in trouble because now my agent is like, look, you've got two names right now. That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to go writing all this other stuff. Um, but if one genre has stuck with me, I think it has to be romance. That's where I started. And I realized that regardless of anything else, everything I write has some element of a relationship in it, not even necessarily romantic, although a lot of them tend to, but that, that kind of backbone of romance is all about interpersonal relationships. And that's something that's very important to me in all my books. So in your previous series, Audrey was a criminal psychologist. Yes. Someone, someone who works with criminals and law enforcement. And then Killian is on the other side of the fence. <laughs> right. Far on the other side of the fence. Yeah. What is it like to write a character on the far side of the law? Oh, God, it's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would be. It really is. It really is. I just find those people really interesting. I think the key to it, though, if you're going to write somebody who's outside the law, don't have them do anything that the punishment wouldn't be worth the cons. You know, like that it's not worth the consequences. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, like, okay, this job or this whatever is worth going back to jail. Because that was the thing with Killian. You know, she's she's out on parole and supposed to be keeping her nose clean. And up until this point, she's been doing it. And then her niece is taken. And doing whatever's necessary to bring the kid home is worth whatever consequences she has to face. Wow. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to Killian's next adventure and to seeing uh, what kind of trouble she gets into. It's a cult. <laughs> it's a cult. <laughs> and, and drug cartel, I can nice. tell you, because I'm editing it right now. And oh, my God, it's a mess. Well, then I'm looking forward to hearing what part of that is pulled from your own life. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to know. I don't know. <laughs> There's nothing. I think just the fact that she goes around punching people in the throat a lot, and I would really like to do that. I think that's the only part. Wow. All right. I had a Marine tell me that, actually. So here you go. Here's a tip. If you ever just really want to put somebody out of commission, you just give them a nice little tap in the Adam's apple. Well, that's what this show is all about, is giving the listeners <laughs> practical <laughs> advice that they can use in their day-to-day -day business. Well, th so thank you, Kate. Job well done. I live to serve. <laughs>
Well, Lori, I want to talk about our sponsor today, Sisters in Crime. Have you uh, have you heard of this national writers organization by chance? Hmm. Let me think. I think I have. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sisters in Crime has been really important to me in my career. Uh, well, so important that you went and got more involved than most of us. You are currently the national president of Sisters in Crime, right? The national president. Yeah, it's a three-year commitment. Call me crazy because I might be, but it's uh, it's been really important to me. And I, I just love what it stands for. It's for equality and inclusivity in the mystery community and uh, writing and publishing mysteries. And I, I just think that's something that we are ready as a community to talk about and make happen. Absolutely. I, I know the LA chapter is very active out here and they, they host a lot of events. They have, uh, you know, the, the meetings on a regular basis. It's really a great community building uh, thing in, in so many different cities and areas all around the country. Yeah, we have, I think, 50, going on 54 chapters, I think, uh, across the nation and in Canada. And But we also have an online chapter for anyone who can't get to a nearby chapter. It's called the Guppies. Oh. And then we, we also have a lot of stuff right on our website that you can get to from anywhere. We have webinars about twice a month at this point with uh, great talks from, you know, people who do taxes for writers. And uh, we, we're having somebody who is a former FBI agent um, talk to us about, you know, the, the real way the FBI works. Well, I'm embarrassed to say in front of the national president that I have let my membership lapse. Eric, so no. For, I know, I know. But you know what? While I'm here, <laughs> while I'm here right now with you, I'm going to go click over to the website right now, okay. sistersincrime.org. That's the one. And uh, I'm going to go uh, renew my membership right now. Well, that's fun. Yeah. So while I'm doing that, uh, I know that this it was started by Sarah Paretsky. Is that right? She was sort of the spearheading uh, getting this group going a couple yeah, years ago? Yeah, well, uh, in 1986, 87. Um, oh, I didn't know it was that old. Yeah, we, we celebrated a big 30 years, but that's been a couple years ago. Sarah uh, was sort of the mastermind, and then there were, uh, was a group of uh, women who got together at one of the Boucher cons, I can't remember which city it was, and decided that there were things that they just felt weren't happening for women writers as much as they were from men writers. And then, you know, you know, every organization is really about that community that we all seek, writing being a lonely job. I am, of course, a, a mister, not a sister, but uh, You're there's still... You're a mister There's, or a there's room in here for... Yeah, there's room in here for everyone, right? There absolutely is. It's actually, you know, part of our founding mission is to be a place where everyone can feel included and welcome and safe. You know, we're we're interested in people who tell crimeish stories of any kind. Anyone who you know is just looking for a community, uh, including readers. We don't uh, discriminate against anyone. So writer or not, published or not, traditionally self-published, anything. Yeah, you know? I'm, I'm I'm seeing on the website there there are different levels of membership, and there is a, a level of membership for just fans and readers. That's great. There are two kinds of membership: voting and non-voting, and you can decide. Uh, you know, which one that you want to be. But everyone is welcome to be a voting member. Anyone is. I just signed up for voting because uh, if you can get voted in, then obviously something needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> you need to fix the system from the yes. inside, Eric. 
<laughs> well, I got to say, uh, sistersofcrime.org, uh, it, it, quick and easy, just in the time that we've been talking, uh, I am a, a member in good standing again, so hopefully I haven't Wonderful. disappointed well, you. Welcome to Sisters in Crime, dear sibling. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So here's the thing I always want to know of all of our guests, and especially my co-hosts. Have you read anything good lately? Oh, yeah. Well, I just finished a book draft, so I wasn't reading a lot during that time that wasn't research material. So the second I had my book draft off to my editor, I got to pick up a book I just wanted to read. And you know what that's, I mean, it's just the best to be able to just read something for fun. Um, So I read Jennifer Kentlow's new book, The Body in Griffith Park which is the third in the Anna Blanc series, award-winning, hilarious traditional mystery set in early 1900s um, Los Angeles, where the Anna is a police matron or an assistant police matron, I think. And and she's a society gal, so she's not really um, exactly good at it, but she wants to be a detective and it's hilarious and it's just delightful. It's such a, a fun way to spend free time, finally having free time. Well, I, I know Griffith Park well. I'll, uh, I'll have to check this out. What about you? Have you read anything recently? Oh, well, you know, I, speaking of just reading for my own pleasure, uh, in between all of the reading for the podcast, which I'm, I'm sort of seeing like, oh yeah, this person would be a good fit for this episode or a, you know, a good pairing with someone. So it does feel a little more like it's not just pure pleasure reading, even though I've, I've discovered some really great books. I like to go back and read off of my vintage shelf that I have. As I, I have a ton of old uh, pulp paperbacks from the 40s and 50s uh, and some stuff. And I went in and grabbed one of the only Cornell Woolrich novels that I have not read yet, The Black Angel, and uh, dug into that uh, about two weeks ago and just r- reminded myself why I absolutely love Cornell Woolrich is probably my, my favorite noir writer of that thirties and forties era. And, uh, I, I may get criticized for saying it, but for my money, he's got more great one-liners than Raymond Chandler. I, I just really love his writing. Mm. Big words. I know, <laughs> but it's okay. It's, it's, it's not like in 2020 or on Twitter or anything, anyone's going to take me to task for it. <laughs> Well, we were just talking about some of our favorite recent reads, but you don't have to take our word for it because we've got the Malmans on the line. Dan and Kate, how are you guys? Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Hello, Malmans. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Lori. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Well, it's a new year, and that means new books. Uh, let me ask you guys, does the first book of the year that you read tend to set the tone for the, the rest of the year at all? Holy cow, that's a good question. Yeah, I know it is. I'm a professional. Wow. <laughs> are you getting paid for this? I am not. Oh, then you're an amateur. <laughs> Neither are you. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. In years past, the first book that I read of the year has really set the bar um, for the rest of the year. So yeah, if I can can come out of the gate swinging with a great book, it's a good good start to the year. This year, I would say, at least for myself... Like I started off with some some pretty hot arcs um, and some things that I've really been looking forward to. And in this short amount of time, uh, the bar has been set really high for 2020. So that's nice. that's a warning to everybody else uh, that oh, they wow. got to bring it. 
So, uh, Lori, is this why uh, your new book is coming out so early in the year? Because you want to set the bar? I'm not in control of this. <laughs> I'm, I'm in control of my career. Um, no, I think it had something more to do with the fact that it might have been out in 2019, except my editor had a baby. So she got a baby and I, I got extra time. Oh, look at that. <laughs> we both enjoyed it. <laughs> Well, Kate, all right, I know that you have read one that uh, Lori has probably read, Jess Lowry's Unspeakable Things. Ooh, I did. Oh, mm-hmm. Now, okay, I I want to say this. Don't spoil this for me because I'm going to pick up my copy of this next month at Murder and Mayhem in Chicago and get Jess to sign it. So whatever mm-hmm. you do, do not ruin this for me right now. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> it's going to be really good. End of review. <laughs> Sold. Yeah. Done. Wait, it takes place in Minnesota. Oh, nah. Unsold. Yeah. But it's Minnesota in summer. Yes. Oh, all right. Resold. Okay. Mosquitoes, no snow. No, I I think you're really, really going to enjoy the book. Um, I've been telling everyone Jess channels all of the great things about a Judy Bloom book um, where it's... uh, you know, preteen kids trying to figure out life on their own and this dogged determinedness, but then she puts this really dark story behind it and surrounds the kids in this this terrible series of events where where boys are um, being abducted and returned, and they've got uh, some pretty serious curfew and stranger danger going on. Um, so I think she's she's taken this. What, what, you know, like I said, a Judy and Bloom inspired book and just really put her own spin on it. She does Creeping Dread really, really well. It's oh. the whole book is just Creeping Dread. It's amazing. Well, now, Kate, as, as a resident of Minnesota, do you experience Creeping Dread every time you go outside? Yes, because it's Creeping Dread whether or not I'm going to break my uh, hip walking on the ice. Ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> well, Dan, I know you've been reading the latest thriller from Matthew Fitzsimmons, uh, who is a friend of the show and a heck of a thriller writer and uh, one of the tallest gentlemen I know, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, when whenever I have the the opportunity to to be in the same room with uh, Fitzsimmons, it's very much a, hey, can you grab that off the shelf for me? Ah, yeah. But I've I've gone on record in the past as saying I'm not traditionally I'm not a real big thriller guy. You know, um, I like my superheroes in comics or on the screen, but uh, with books, I've always lent more towards uh, mystery, towards PI, except for the, this Gibson Vaughn series. Um, I've been in on on this series uh, for through the first four books. Origami Man is book five, and it's coming out uh, early next month, February. This is my series. I really, really love this guy. I think what draws me in and gets me so much is that. Yeah, it's a thriller, um, international locales, high tech, daring do, um, but it's it's something that I've called uh, literary thrillers. There's so much meat on the bone with Gibson Vaughn and his crew. Um, the backstory is so rich. The drama and the trauma, it sucks you in. So um, this is the thriller series for guys that really don't really dig thrillers. That's an interesting pitch. Uh, now, yeah. Would you say, is this a, one of those series that you need to start from the beginning or is Origami Man maybe a good place to jump in? Both. Um, one through you can't four, have it both ways. Dan. I can have it any way you called me. Uh, 
Uh, one through four really, uh, I feel, needs to be uh, read sequentially. Origami Man is a very clean jump on point. Oh. Um, but if you're gonna if you're gonna pick up this one, grab the other four too. It's it's <laughs> worth it to to get the basis before you before you reach Origami Man. The series is just yeah. that good. I, th- I yeah that that would be my take. All right. All right. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing what you guys come up with next time. Uh, might I recommend The Lucky One by Laurie Raider Day? Hey. Oh, oh I, this, this is the, this hot new writer I've heard so much about. Yes. Everyone is talking about her. Even, it's all over the podcast world. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's time for our next guest, Lori. Kim Taylor Blakemore has written a historical mystery novel, The Companion, and this is about a young woman who comes to work as a servant at a home in 1855, and she ends up accused of a double homicide. (laughs) So, Lori, if you lived in 1855, do you think you would be more likely to have been the servant or the lady of the house? Oh, I totally would have been the servant, for sure. (laughs) And a bad one. You would like, have been like a, a really terrible one. Maybe, maybe accused of murder. Who knows? <laughs> oh, definitely accused of murder. <laughs> oh wait, you said double murder. Yes, accused of double murder. Definitely, that would be. Yeah, that goes with that. So whether you're the lady or the servant, there's there's an accusation of murder in in, in your in your scenario, no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep myself interested. Yeah. <laughs> Kim, uh, we're here to talk about The Companion, this novel uh, set in 1855. And if anything, this confirmed that I would not want to have lived in that era. It just sounds <laughs> like life was so hard and I can't imagine that it was a whole lot of fun. What about the mid-1800s drew you uh, to write about it? Well, I absolutely love that period somewhere between about 1850 to about 1880 is a really interesting period to me and when I was coming up with the ideas for this novel I really needed some place that was really gothic and literally if you go to New Hampshire it's trees and villages and sheep and pretty gothic so I um had gone there and I went down the Kuntukuk River and I said, this is where I'm going to set something. But the, and it would not have worked in like the 1950s New Hampshire? <laughs> it, was, it was all too modern by then? <laughs> Much too modern. I mean, <laughs> nobody could have gotten away with any of those crimes. You're before forensics and all of that stuff. So there's many more things you can get away with. Arsenic everywhere. Laudanum easily gotten. Very good for crime novels good tip (laughs) i know i i keep thinking i want to set something in like 1950s portland because i'm from here and it rains all the time and it's pretty dang gothic all on its own but i i just worry about all the forensics and people who can solve the crimes much easier cell phones are a real bitch i gotta tell you be a very short book (laughs) exactly except at the time in the 50s it was completely corrupt so it i could have gotten away with a good novel there but I like, I happen to unfortunately love the fashions of the, not unfortunately, but I love the fashions of the 19th century. So crinolines and bustles, and I, I just absolutely love. Not to wear ourselves, obviously. Oh, no. No, 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 no. no, no. They're just, you know how they are. They're beautiful in books and film. Exactly. 
So uh, Lucy arrives at the Burton mansion with some secrets in her past, and much of the book is spent questioning whether to trust Lucy, mm-hmm. both from the characters and for the reader. Was that something that you were trying to do, like add a layer of mystery so that the reader is questioning her as well? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, when the book was first being pitched to editors, the editor who bought it at Lake Union, she said, you know, Lucy's very tragic. Let's give her more agency. What do you think if we make it so you don't know if she did it or not? And I was enthralled. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like that about her. And I like that you don't know at the end who actually did it. And I think that I think you do root for her because she keeps trying and she's such a survivor. And yeah. she's both cunning and vulnerable and funny. Then suddenly somewhere in there you go, wait a minute this is a lie. This is a different story she's telling than she stole, told 30 pages ago. Mm-hmm. And I loved that sort of bouncing thing with her where you didn't really know what was the truth and what wasn't from her, but yet you couldn't help but, you know, say, go, go for it, win. <laughs> I love a liar. Oh, don't you? <laughs> Aren't they the best? Obviously not in real life, but in in book characters, absolutely. I love somebody who's not always telling the whole truth. Exactly. I totally love that yeah. because it makes me so engaged in the story. And then I'm like, no, wait a minute. I'm on your side, but I need to figure you out like right now. <laughs> I want to be ahead of you. <laughs> Well, here on Writer Types, we have a tendency to pivot away from books pretty quickly, uh, especially when I learn a little tidbit of info about an author and uh, come to find out that you, Kim, are a saber fencer. <laughs> so I want to he- hear about this. How did you find that out? <laughs> it's, my, it's my best kept secret. <laughs> It's it's kind of hard hard to hide if you're running around w- waving a sword. I, I realized last week I started archery again because the new book that I um, that's coming out next year, one of the characters is an archery person. So I literally on Monday nights go to archery class and shoot arrows into things, and then go directly from there to fencing to stab people. And oh, to come me, on. it is literally my favorite. <laughs> it's like my Monday of Zen. And I'm like, God, wow. that's a, you're frightening. I'm frightening myself. You might be the coolest person I know. <laughs> well, to try to tie this into books a little bit, is mm-hmm. is it too much of a stretch to compare two fencers facing off against each other to the relationship between a mystery writer and the reader? I mean, is is it? Am I stretching a metaphor too much there, or is is there something to that? I think that's a brilliant metaphor. Well, thank you. Because I, I really do. Because even if you fence your opponent many other times in the past, every single time you meet them, they're a surprise. The fencing is called physical chess because it's mostly mental. So it's really trying to trick your opponent and faint and then get them to second guess or to fall into your trap. So it, it's actually, your metaphor is fantastic. Well, there you go. I, I have my one smart thing I said for the day. So this, this episode's done. I can... You're done. I give you an honorary saber. Very nice. In previous novels, you have some main character. It seems like you like to put your characters through their paces. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. tried to write a romance once and that just so did not work out. <laughs> Why? Why? What, what do you think was hard about that? Well, I love historical fiction. 
so I'm like, well, I'm going to try some sort of lush romance just set after World War II, you know, kind of when the world is a mess and everybody's traumatized. And then as I kept writing it, it was like suddenly they're having an affair. And then I'm thinking of how to get somebody killed on a boat. And I'm like, um, <laughs> I don't think this is working. <laughs> I mean, that, sound, that sounds perfectly normal to me. But people yeah, start oh, dying. It would sound perfectly yeah. normal to you. Yes, for sure. <laughs> Well, we touched a little bit on this already, but uh, so much of Lucy's innocence in The Companion is solely based on word of mouth and, and hearsay, since, like we talked about, investigating a murder in the 1850s was so very different. Mm-hmm. How in the world did any murder ever get solved back then? You know, I don't actually know if, if they didn't confess, because especially in... Um, New Hampshire. So these little towns would maybe have one constable. If you had a uh, charge of murder, you had to wait for the court of common pleas to come to town every three months. Hmm. And then you walked in and there was no, you know, set of forensics, as I've said before, anything like that. You walked in, you talked to the uh, judge and you said, this is what happened. They write it down. You go to a little short trial and they make a decision. Wow. So there's many, many things you could get away with. And in researching this time period, I mean, did you find uh, any cases or anything like specific cases and stuff that you were able to draw uh, some inspiration or some some information from? I did. I uh, was having a really hard time to begin with trying to figure out what happened to women felons at the time. And I had Uh, contacted the prison there, the prison historian who didn't have anything. So I finally ended up at the state library uh, with this rock star librarian, Rebecca Stockbridge. And she said, I have every single prison report from the years of your book. Would you like them? Wow. Uh, Yes. (laughs) She's brilliant. I I literally, I'm on the third book with her where I just write her and go, hey, here's the idea for the next one. Do you have anything? And off she goes. She's like, yes, I am in the basement right now. (laughs) So she gave me those warden reports. And in each of the reports was not just the warden. It was the chaplain and the doctor's reports. And on top of it was every single person who was in there for what? And there were six women who were in the prison during that year. And one of them was a girl named Letitia Blaisdell. And she had been accused of killing her adopted mother, grandmother, and brother. She wanted the deed to the family farm. And she decided, you know, I think I'm just going to kill my family and get the deed to the farm. She's really kind of dumb. She went there. (laughs) Seriously. She goes there, visits them. Grandma dies. She comes back another time, and suddenly the mother dies, and the brother dies, and the father is sick, but he lives. And he realizes, I think we just got poisoned by our dear adopted daughter. Wow. So she was sentenced to hang in New Hampshire, ended up in the warden's attic, ended up serving them food, which would just be like, not the person I'd want to serve food at my table, right? (laughs) It's like, how'd you do it? Was it arsenic or morphine? Which one is tasteless? Man, why do we even bother writing books? Because real life can be so dramatic. (laughs) I know, I know. And, And I found her like sort of in the middle of writing the story. And I'm like, well, I'm writing a totally fake person and there's this real person that's in the prison. Now what do I do? (laughs) 
Eric, Eric, let me know that you were in the Historical Novel Society, and I just joined that group, so I'm really curious um, what that community is like. We are in the mystery community, which is very tight knit, and we sort of we tend to think our group is kind of the best <laughs> and the friendliest, but. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to hear what the Historical Novel Society is like. That is fantastic. I'm glad you joined them. I love the <laughs> Historical Novel Society, and they have a conference every other year in the U.S. It is amazing. The things you learn about at the conferences are really interesting because it's not just, you know, panelists up there talking about writing. It's somebody who comes in and goes, hey, I'm going to teach you all the gambling games from the 1700s. <laughs> You know, and like, that's what I want to see. And like, you know, here's, here's the medicine in the Civil War. So those are sort of the weird research things that I find really interesting. That's great. Lori's next book that uh, she just is handing into her editor is, is uh, as she said, it's a historical, but it's it's the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Do you look at someone like that and think, oh, it's like training wheels for historical? <laughs> oh, no, I think it's worse. I think you, I'm sorry, Lori. <laughs> I think it's harder because there's people alive and there's so much material that can be, that you can access, but you also have people who can be like, that didn't happen exactly at that day because here's the paper from Des Moines, 1942, (laughs) it wasn't snowing that day. And you're like, I don't really care. It wasn't my book. So get over it. Oh my God, Kim, I love you. This is exactly what I'm dealing with. You know, I'm not going to get the person on Instagram who's going to be like, you said it was snowing for seven days in 1855. I'm being like, but you are going to have that. So welcome to historical fiction, my friend. All right. Well, Lori, I am feeling uh, like I've wasted my life after talking to someone who does both fencing and archery. I know. I mean, she seems like a super villain, you know, like I, I, what have I been doing with my time? Let's hope that she uses these skills for good and not evil. I don't know. I'd like to see some of the evil too, I think. (laughs) Spoken like a crime writer. (laughs) Well, there you have it, Lori. You made an excellent guest host and I cannot thank you enough. This has been really fun. Thanks, Eric. Absolutely. Well, uh, I want to thank our sponsors, Sisters in Crime, and I hope everyone who's listening signs up. Uh, They have chapters all over the country, and signing up is quick and easy, as I proved. Uh, Just head on over to sistersincrime.org. Well, thanks for all that you do for the writing community, Lori. I mean, I think between that, uh, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Murder and Mayhem in Chicago, the one-day conference that you co-run with Dana Kay that takes place in Chicago that uh, I've been lucky enough to have been there since the inception. You guys have been really generous enough to uh, let me emcee the event. This is a fantastic one-day event taking place this year on March 21st. So there's still time for everyone in the Chicago area to uh, sign up and head on over to check out this amazing lineup of writers. Uh, it, this is really a lot of fun. It's uh, it's going to be a great year, too. We have Laura Lippman, Greg Hurwitz, Shirley Pena, and William Kent Kruger as headliners. Uh, that is a great lineup. You guys always manage to pull together a, a pretty impressive group of, uh, of writers. Well, congratulations also on The Lucky One. That's out February 18th. You have a lot of stuff going on in your life, Lori, so I really thank you for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule to uh, hang out with me. For more information on Lori, you can visit her at lauriraiderday.com. And for anyone who doesn't know, hey, I also write books too. You can find out all about them at ericbeatner.com. 
So thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for subscribing. You can follow us on Twitter at Writer Types, and uh, we'll be back next time with another great co-host and more great guests. 